Hello, and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Engel, and today we are covering minute number 29, which begins with Kane reaching up to peek over a ledge and ends with Dallas ex- inspecting a fossilized alien. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Stumbled over that. Something's going to happen. <laughs> I got really nervous about this. Uh, we got Pete the retailer back today. How's it going, Pete? It's good. Um, this is getting exciting. Exactly. Ten- tension is building. So now we've completely reconnected with Kane's point of view in this, right? Yeah, I think so. And we don't know that because we see this strange shape drifting up into the front of the frame, and I'm not even sure what I'm looking at. And then we realize it's the back of his helmet, right. and he's <laughs> crawling up over the ledge, and then... In typical keep us from seeing what he sees style, we go to his face yep. as he stares off into the distance. And, of course, we want to know, what's he looking at? Yeah, it's just one more little bit of hesitation before we get a big reveal. Um, once again, them holding back just a little bit more, making us want it a little bit more. So, um, And it takes a full 15 seconds on his face yeah. staring so well, they're really teasing it out. I also think because we've now reconnected with his point of view, we want to get his reaction. And this is such a big reveal. What he's seeing is is so big that I think we need to let him gawk at it for a minute. We need to 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 see that he's in awe for a little while. And then we really wonder what it is he's going to see. Yeah, this is we, – we kind of mentioned those moments where you're expecting maybe a startle – you know, like a um, a cat jumps out moment or something. Where and and this this that kind of slow, you know, not even not quite reveal that just kind of slow discovery totally had me expecting something. Even though I know, you know, logically I know the plot of the movie and I know wait, no, nothing nothing happens quite yet. But the the tension feels like I feel like if this was you know modern movie, they would something would show up and somehow startle him or you know like the his, he would lose lose his footing for half a second or something the other thing too that plays with what we expect from the way that film grammar works is we do expect the next shot to be his point of view so we can see what he sees but it's not instead we jump all the way into the other chamber mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we watch as he climbs over the ledge and moves into the space as then the camera begins to pull back and reveal this gigantic space that he's inside of yeah, what do you what do you think that choice happened why do you think they chose to do it that way i think it's i think it's to show off scale to be awesome in the tr- true sense of the word you know that it inspires this real sense of kind of the sublime beauty of this on one hand kind of horrifying space but also really beautiful i mean the design is just spectacular in this moment and then you see that thing sitting in the middle of it, and you have to piece it together to figure out what it is you're looking at. Is it a guy with a gun? Is it a? Is it? Is it some kind? Is he? He seems to be sitting in a chair. I just remember initially seeing that the first time, having never seen any photographs of it or anything, and just being sort of stunned. Yeah. Again, I think if if it if they just did shot reverse shot kind of and showed you his POV then you wouldn't get that sense of scale of it at all. It would just be like, you know, unless they kind of 
you know, they could play with that somehow, you know, just have like a, you know, you just see a little bit of it and then kind of pull out or something, something a little more elaborate. But this, I think the way that it works here is a good, a good way to kind of let you know exactly what they, how big, what they're, what they're going through is. In its own weird way, it releases tension too. You know, it, it almost says the pleasure that we're giving you now is not the pleasure of, is something going to jump out and scare him? The pleasure we're going to give you now is, is this otherworldly pleasure. We're going to let you see what's inside this thing we've been looking at for the last 10 minutes going inside of and exploring. And here it is. And it's, I think it definitely moves away from a horror movie now and it becomes a science fiction slash fantasy movie for, for these next few beats. Well, it's another example of them um, going all out on the set design, uh, similar to the landing leg that we talked about a few minutes ago, where they used, uh, they built a giant prop, um, built a big set in order to uh, maybe only use once or twice, but to give the audience that sense of scale so they knew they weren't watching a B-horror sci-fi flick. So here we're getting that again. Um, we're not going to see this set again in the movie, uh, yet it's got to be the most elaborate set they built for the whole production. And it, it did turn out to be quite a, a battle to get this uh, set even built in the first place. So this is another example of Michael Seymour, the, the production designer coming in, and uh, Ron Cobb as well, fighting for the use of this. Of course, Ridley Scott, I'm sure, did as well. And it's kind of an interesting fact about this. Um, you know, the way we see it on screen is this giant chamber. It was, in fact, only one wall with the space jockey placed in front of it and set on a turntable. So the the camera, there was a camera mounted to the space jockey and they could just turn the wall around and get every angle Ridley Scott wanted, but they didn't have to really build the, the set out to yeah. the extent that it looks. You mean turn the space jockey space around? Space jockey around, yeah, yeah. on the turntable. Yeah. Mm. So... I, this is always this is going to be a continuing theme. I think we're going to be talking about this in a few minutes as well. How they just needed felt the need to establish the sense of scale, in order to not you know devolve the movie into this schlocky horror. You know, maybe we would have seen Alien as a schlocky horror sci-fi flick had it not been for these little moments. Well, and given Star Wars' success, you would have thought on one hand they knew that you need to suggest scale. I mean, that's one of the things that Star Wars had going for it was this incredible sense of space it's funny that even with the establishment of star wars as the successful sci-fi sci-fi fantasy flick they gave this movie less money the budget was lower for this than the unproven star wars so i'm not sure how much they learned after star wars (laughs) uh about how to approach a science fiction uh movie the stock was soaring so they wanted to keep the stock going up probably probably As much as as much as I like it, and I, I, it totally kind of opens up this kind of arena for lore, or for you know, kind of giving the the idea of kind of a, a much bigger, kind of more interesting universe and backstory behind this. Like, I really, it, they could have. I can see the point of the you know studio executive or whoever saying like, well, that you, you know your big set there, your big your space jockeys is not really necessarily relevant to the movie you know they could just they could have just kind of gone up through the little corridor come out into an egg room and you know we we get a little bit of that kind of foreshadowing with the the i mean i guess this was coming up it'll come up tomorrow but the kind of you know the end product you know the 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 damage that the that the aliens can do but 
the I mean I feel like it's it's on a on a pure, you know, on paper, I can see the argument for like, oh, we don't need that. Yeah. I think that's true. And I think that what you get is a beat that you don't expect. I think you're yeah. right. I think you expect, well, let's get into the egg chamber and move the plot along. But this scene does not move the plot forward one iota. It does something totally different, which is creates mood, creates an implied backstory to what happened to this ship, foreshadows what's going to happen in a weird, unexpected way. And we don't ever see this guy again for 30, what, 32, 33 years, right? Until they decide to make a prequel. Because <laughs> he doesn't show up in Aliens either, right? So, uh, it, yeah, it's an interesting, it's a big moment. And obviously, like you said, Pete, it adds to this lore. Of course, there's all this, there's stories about him, this space jockey now, as they call him. So, um, to me, it's just, a, it's flavor is very important in in these kind of movies. You can't just cut something because... You want the plot to keep moving. Sometimes you just got to have a little bit of flavor. So, um, but even it, now when I look at it, I'm still not sure. Is that a face hugger on him, or is it just know. that he's got a snout that has these finger-like things along them that look like a face hugger? Is something? I've always thought it was a snout, like a uh, yeah. yeah. But the yeah. shape, the shape suggests the face hugger. Yeah, which is I think works on this weird frequency. Again, it may be foreshadowing something on a level that we're not even conscious of it. But then when you finally see that thing, it somehow kind of echoes back to where we were before. Yeah, I, I never, again, this part of the kind of murky design and maybe just kind of not not paying attention as much when I was younger, but didn't. I didn't really put this, I didn't find this too memorable until kind of, you know, years later, um, funny you guys mentioned uh, the movie forbidden planet yesterday but that was the the name of the story that i worked in here in new york for a while and i remember kind of early on being you know stocking something and there was a um somebody had had kind of made a i think it was like a resin reproduction kit of the space jockey so we had that out for sale and i remember seeing like space jockey from alien what is that i don't even know what that like you know because the the box wasn't really I don't know if it had a picture on it or not, but I just remember seeing like space jockey. What I don't I, like the the term just seemed odd to me, and and I I couldn't remember this part of the movie that clearly. And um, it is a pretty weird thing to throw in there. Yeah, well, and yeah. a weird thing to make a a model kit of. Although I, I totally understand it. You know, like on this side of it, a I'm glad they added that scene to the movie. I'm glad they fought for that set. And b I kind of wish that they I had bought that at some point. <laughs> Yeah, and they, uh, you know, the the terms or the name space jockey is completely extra textu- textual too. I mean, they never call it that in this. That's, I don't know if it's from the novelization or not, but um, yeah. you know, here on Earth, jockeys are usually very small. So yeah. here in this movie, it's very big, which then alludes to something I was talking about yesterday. Looking at the space jockey, he's not walking through that corridor that they walk through to get here, right? So. I don't have an answer for this, but what do you guys think that corridor is then? Like, if that's not for the crew to travel through, what did what is it they came in and what did they walk through? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I, I it raises some questions because I don't. Is this ship organic? Is this ship a living thing? I don't know. And when you're in this this murky 
biomech world, you really can't tell one from the other, right? So were they walking through some organic organic passageways? Were they walking through some organs of the ship or something? I don't know. This might go down on the list of my kind of crazy theories about this movie, but I thought I'd throw it out there and see if you guys had any ideas. I think it's just one more thing that builds the mystery of the movie for me anyway. Could be venting or, or you know, conduit or something. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it it's definitely not, you know, once when, when you that kind of low wall that he scales once he realizes that's basically just kind of part of the floor. It's it, it, again, your scale is kind of, yeah. And, and what, I mean, I guess, you know, this could be, we could talk about this today. We could talk about this. Uh, if you guys will have me back tomorrow. Um, but the, uh, the, I guess since then, since this movie, you know, the, all the, all the kind of added, uh, kind of, uh, rules and, and kind of background that's been given to the, to the alien, the xenomorphs, um, is there a lot of information about this, the the space jockey or the the kind of alien? Because if it, I'm I'm I know as it's gone on, they've kind of established that it take, kind of takes the form somewhat of the you know it it builds itself to kind of match its host somewhat the alien. Yeah, and they were even saying things like that in some of the early publicity materials that came out about the movie. So. Yeah, it makes you wonder, is the final form that the alien appears some kind of hybrid, genetic hybrid based on this figure, but on a different scale? Because why isn't the alien that big? It's not, you know? And how big right. is the chest burster that was able to blast out of the ribs of that thing? So, yeah. Well, yeah, that the... Because, well, the one that we eventually end up meeting is hatched out of um, Kane. Right, right. Am I, am I getting? I, I, yeah. I'm terrible with character names for the most part. Um, the um, although it's much easier here than in Aliens, where you get a million Marines, and luckily they all die off pretty quick, so you can you can pare down. But so the one that we meet is is kind of a human hybrid. But it would be interesting to see what the you know what they were dealing with with the ones that kind of burst out. Or do we do we get to see that in Prometheus? I. I I can't remember, but the the kind of the one that we would see kind of that burst out of somebody the scale of the space jockey. So a with that kind of physiology of maybe maybe a kind of a you know a trunk or some kind of proboscis thing, mm-hmm. and on that on that kind of weird scale. Yeah, I wonder if uh, the gestation period is longer. Also, for depending on the size of the creature, I mean, you probably need a little bit more power to to burst out of this chest compared to Kane's, you know? So I wonder if there's some added time you have that you're inside of the host before you come out. But right. That's amazing that we're actually talking about this (laughs) (laughs) because I don't know whether I even need to know those answers. You know, I just know that I'm in a place and I'm looking at something that's not like anything I've ever seen before. Right. And I love the fact that it's not explained. I love the fact that we've moved into a space that is just, you know, beyond explanation and we're lucky if we get out alive. Yeah, I can tell you, I, I've i seen this movie a hundred times and I've never given any of this any thought until we had something to apply it to, this kind of uh, extra textual information. I'm not interested in it when I'm watching the movie, when I'm immersed in the movie. But for the purposes of this show, it's fun to talk about. And, you know, we'll probably get some people, you know, 
joining us on Facebook with their ideas or getting angry at us about our ideas or whatever it may be. And so it just adds to the conversation. Well, Kane caps it off by saying, amazing. And that ends the minute. Uh, I've got nothing else. I've got nothing else. Pete? I uh, know. Yeah, that's, that's it for, for this minute. All right. So that's going to do it for minute number 29. You can check us out at alienminute.com or make sure and subscribe on iTunes or the Stitcher app. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 30.